0: Welcome to Appearance Matters the podcast. The Appearance Psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the
1: psychology of how we look. I'm Abby and I'm Maya. Before we get started with this episode, we want to say a massive thank you again to our two Appearance Matters 10 keynote speakers for coming to join us on the podcast for our October and November 2023 episodes. It was so great to hear a bit more about them and we are really looking forward to hearing their keynote talks at the conference next summer.
0: Yes, we can't wait. And remember, for those of you who can't make the conference, we'll be recording both keynotes and streaming these on the podcast in the summer.
1: That's right. So on to today's episode. This episode we're joined by one of our PhD students here at CAR, Christia Huntington. So Christia is a third year PhD student here at the Centre for Appearance Research and her research has focused on online support for individuals who are affected by a burn injury. Christia started her PhD here at CAR in 2020 and we have been dying to have her on the podcast ever since.
0: Yes, so I spoke with Christia last week, so let's hear our conversation about her work. Welcome Christia. To start us off I was wondering if you could please give us a short introduction to your PhD project.
2: Yeah absolutely. So hi Albert, thank you for having me on the podcast. So I am a third and final year PhD student and my PhD is a partnership PhD and that basically means that it's funded jointly by the University of the West of England and the VTCT Foundation. So The overall aim of my PhD is to investigate the experiences and provision of online support by people affected by burns. So I'm in the final year now and I've spent the past three years exploring the experiences of people affected by burns and their use of different forms of online support and this in part as well is also to better inform future initiatives so that when my PhD is done and dusted there's research there that other people can work on to make even more online support interventions for the burns community. Um, So when someone sustains a burn injury, there's often a misconception within society that the impact is entirely physical. So by this, I mean, there's a misconception that people think that you have a burn injury, you may go to hospital, you may get treatment, you may have your burn cleaned, you may have dressing changes, you may even have a surgical intervention such as a skin graft procedure. However there is not enough awareness in my opinion about the psychological impact of a burn injury. Now this is obviously different from one individual to the next but having a burn can involve adjusting to life with an altered appearance and this can create a whole range of issues. It can create feelings of isolation, it can increase feelings of social anxiety some people with burn injuries also experience post-traumatic stress disorder and low self-esteem. And sustaining a burn can also worsen any existing mental health conditions.
0: So your PhD focuses on online support specifically. So I wondered if you could give us a bit, of, bit more information about what online support is and if you've got any examples.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So online support, I would define as any form of social and emotional support that's accessed online, basically. So this can include forums, it can include social media groups, video chats, health information websites or group chats. So in relation to the burn community specifically, there are Facebook groups and Instagram communities and they're specifically dedicated to sharing the experiences of those with burns, raising awareness of the impact raising awareness of prevention strategies for burns and they aim to really create this the shared community based on a similar experience that the members of that community have all in some way been affected by burn injuries so this is what I have also referred to and may refer to in this podcast as the burns community so as with the rising technology people are accessing health information online more and more so I'm sure you know yourself if you have any kind of illness or a symptom you're straight on google and you're having a look at forums where people have had similar symptoms to you so we wanted to create a space for the burns community to access support online but one that didn't just focus on the physical aspects of a burn injury but also paid attention to the psychological impact so you know the mental health difficulties that people may face after they've had a burn um And a benefit of online support is the independence that it allows the user to become more in control of their own health because they're researching in the comfort of their own home. It's a lot of it's 24 hours. They can access it in the comfort of their own home anonymously. And that can be a big stepping stone for someone in the Burns community who may feel nervous to attend an in-person support group, for example, or perhaps they feel nervous about attending their next appointments they want to do a bit of research beforehand and that's what we were really trying to focus on with this PhD to create that space for people affected by burns to feel more in control of their own health and to also learn about burn injuries and the impact of burns from someone who's been there, from parents who have children with burns, from those who maybe got burnt 10, 15, 20 years ago and are at that other end of the recovery journey. So online support itself is, it's growing. Um, A recent study by the Office for National Statistics reported that 54% of adults in the UK have used the internet to seek health-related information and this 54% of adults that's an increase of 30% on the previous decade. And it's only going to get more as more people become more familiar, more comfortable using the Internet, basically. Um, so this just, to me, strengthens the argument that online support should be an
0: integral part of healthcare. Thanks, Christia. That was such a thorough overview of all things burn injuries. Um, and I totally agree about online support as well. I'm a big um believer in online support because I think um, a lot of the time you hear a lot of the drawbacks don't you you hear um why maybe it's not as good as face to face but I think it's really important to have a range of options and the accessibility and how available online support is I think is just amazing um so yeah so um I just thought I'd note here as well um, if anyone is interested in listening to some more episodes about visible difference we have um, loads and loads of episodes on the podcast so um, do have a look at those if you want to learn more so Christia, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your first study please
2: yeah absolutely so like I said I am in my third and final year of the PhD now um, and the last three years Uh, were spent on this big first study of the PhD. So what that was, was I interviewed 36 people that had been affected by burn injuries. And when I say affected by burn injuries, this isn't just people that have been burnt themselves. This is also the parents of children who have had a burn injury. So I interviewed these 36 people and I really wanted to learn about their experiences of having a burn or parenting with a burn. So I asked them questions about their treatment, such as what was your hospital care like? Did you receive a skin graft? Did you in dressing changes? Were you an inpatient? What was your outpatient discharge like? I asked them questions that related to their relationships. So um, some people that have had burn injuries Report difficulty forming romantic relationships. They may feel uh, self conscious if they have a burn injury um that in their eyes would affect intimacy, for example. You know, if they're in a relationship prior to the burn and then suddenly they're having to adapt to their partner seeing them with a burn injury that, that they're not used to. Or equal, if they're single and they're dating and they're navigating the dating world with. A scar, and sometimes the people that I spoke to saw that as an extra obstacle in an already difficult dating world. So, the aim of the first today was to speak to all these different people, have a real insight into their personal experiences of living with a burn injury. And this was then to create a brand new module on a website called health talk now just for a bit of background information health talk is a award-winning site where you can learn about the experiences of different people with hundreds of different health conditions so there are modules on alopecia terminal illness cancer pregnancy acne epilepsy and the aim is that you will go onto the site you'll click on the health condition that you in some way relate to and there will be video and audio snippets and text transcripts of people with that condition sharing their experiences of living with that that health issue and it's really to emphasize the importance of shared experience you'll log on and you'll be able to hear people speak about a health condition that Perhaps you've just been diagnosed with where it was 20 years into their journey with this condition or they've managed to learn different coping mechanisms. So that was exactly what we wanted to replicate. We wanted to create a space where people could log on to the health talk burns module and they can watch video clips of other people who have experienced burn injuries. They could listen to audio clips of people that had maybe been burned longer ago than they had. And just to kind of instill that sense of i'm not alone there are other people in the world who have experienced a similar situation to what i'm going through
0: brilliant so that sounds like really important um, and really great that there's these other health talk web pages but yeah it sounds great to um, also have that for burns injuries as well so um, what sort of methods did you use for the study
2: so for the methods of the study, uh, like I previously said, we interviewed 36 people and we used semi structured interviews. And now that just means that the interviews had topics and questions that I wanted to touch on, to cover, but that really the interviews were led by the person that I was speaking to. I wanted the person that I was speaking to in that moment to be able to direct the interview to what was important to them. So if I, for example, hadn't asked them, a question about a topic that they were really keen on speaking about that they felt had significantly impacted their experience of having a burn then I wanted them to be able to speak about that so some of the interviews I think the shortest interview was 45 minutes and the longest interview was four hours
0: wow <laughs> yeah exactly. four hours wow four, that's amazing
2: yeah a four hour interview um that was cut into two so they were two hours each but I wanted people to feel comfortable speaking to me, sharing their experiences, because at the end of the day, this was going onto a website that was going to help other people to learn. Again, that feeling they're not alone, there are other people who've experienced what I've been through. So we did the interviews, and then it was a case of transcribing the interviews, and then we did a thematic analysis on the interviews where. I would identify the most common and most significant themes from the data. This then went to create topics on the Health Talk website. So there are over 20 topics on the Health Talk site and they range from people speaking about dressing changes to career impact, to feelings of guilt and blame um, as a parent of a child with a burn to outpatient and discharge experience. So anything that came from these interviews that was significant or common amongst these 36 people then went to create the
0: topic summaries or themes
2: as we'd refer to them in research.
0: Thanks, Christy. I think it's really interesting to think about some of those different um, sort of like nuances between visible differences. I think um, guilt and blame is something that sounds really interesting, which I haven't really worked with before in my work with visible differences. So yeah. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about that. And what were the results of your study? So what did you find?
2: So after the interviews were transcribed and I conducted a thematic analysis on them, it became really evident that although these people shared the experience of having a burn or parenting with a burn, there were so many, like you said, individual nuances in their experiences. And This could be to do with the fact that some of these people, the most recent burn was one year ago and the burn which happened longest ago was around 50 years. So there were definite differences in their experiences. So we found some really interesting things from this. So after the interviews were transcribed and I did a thematic analysis on them, obviously Everybody's experiences were unique, although they all shared the commonality of having a burn injury. There are unique experiences that, you know, depending on how they were burnt, how old they were when they were burnt, the circumstances, the situation immediately after their burn. Although these were all unique, there were some shared findings between the people we interviewed. So, for example, one thing that came up that displays of kindness and compassion by the healthcare staff when they were receiving treatment a lot of people reported that this could alleviate some of the distress they were feeling during their treatment so they did so they said that although they recognized it was still a painful procedure by the nurses and the doctors showing them compassion informing them of what they were doing and why they were doing they felt they were better able to to handle the treatments that they were having to endure. Patient choice was another one that was incredibly important. People liked to know what treatments they were having and why they didn't just want to be given a treatment, they wanted choice. So for example, there was a gentleman that I interviewed and he had, he'd burnt his wrist and his hand and he was informed that he would need a skin graft however if he was to stop smoking because he was a current smoker at the time he wouldn't need a skin graft now I'm not entirely sure on the science behind that but I think it's something to do with the oxygen or blood and the requirements for a skin graft the doctor farming if you stopped smoking you're gonna be okay to heal naturally um, and you won't need a skin graft so people really appreciated being given choices in their treatment there was another lady who chose not to have a skin graft on one part of her body um, because she just wanted for that part of her body to heal naturally and people really strongly reported that it made their treatment more bearable, more tolerable when they felt more in control of that. There was also a lot that came from the interviews about the influence of family dynamics. Now In the case of adults that were burnt, they spoke about their partners having to take on a carer role and how this was difficult to navigate. If you've been in a relationship or you've been married to someone for several years and then suddenly your partner is having to take on a caring role for you, this can impact the family dynamic. This can impact your sense of self, your sense of independence. Um, And this was also the same with parents who were having to then look after adult children who had been burned. Um So the kind of the people thought that they were past this stage of life where they needed help from their parents, perhaps showering or dressing um, or tasks such as cooking and cleaning. And then after their burn injury, it's a difficult transition for them to then be looked after by their parent again, Another important thing that came from the analysis was the impact of body image of those with burn injuries. So people spoke a lot about the impact of the reactions of others. So people spoke about how people would stare at them, how sometimes they'd receive unsolicited comments that sometimes it could be from a place of curiosity, um, but were quite rude, quite blunt. Sometimes they could be quite nasty. Um, So there was this, of having to deal with the reactions of others when you're already trying to contend with your own body image how you feel about yourself without having to contend with what other people may think of you. Now this was mentioned quite a lot that people would learn coping mechanisms along the way so one lady I spoke to for example she has quite visible burns and if she's asked about her burns she would use humour as a coping mechanism to kind of deflect the question back onto them. So one instance, she was asked, oh, so what's happened to your body? Why why do you have these scars? And she'd say something like, oh, I was bitten by a shark. And it would then deflect the question back onto them. It would, in her words, eliminate that awkwardness. And she would then feel in control of her own answer. Um, There was also the significance of peer support. There is a reduced likelihood um, of adverse health with people who have increased social support they spoke about it being key to their recoverer um and the unique bond that you feel between two people that have had a burn injury there is a sense of community within that that
0: really came through from these results brilliant thanks christian there's just so much in there to think about um so much really great data so did you use those themes to sort of shape the health talk website is that right
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the themes that we found were used to create what we're calling topic summaries on the website. Now there are around 25 topic summaries on the website and these were broken down into categories. So treatment, for example, would include dressing changes, surgical interventions, patient care, patient choice. Um, Impact on career would involve career transitions, advice to employers. The topic of relationships would then involve romantic relationships, friendships, uh, relationships with parents, family dynamics. So it really did shape the entire website. I tried to include on the website as much as I could, everything that people said was significant or important to them and all these kind of common themes that came through from the analysis.
0: Brilliant, well it sounds like so much work, so well done. Um, And if anyone is interested in having a look at the health talk website it's now live isn't it so um there's a link to that in the bio so yeah go and have a look at that um if you're interested brilliant so moving on to your next studies christia so i wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about um sort of what happened next to your phd (laughs) sounds like a story
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely so the health Talk website like you said it's live now it's been live since around May of this year and just a note on that we want people to use it it's being used in different NHS burns trusts uh, burns units sorry all around the UK it's being referred to patients it's being referred to by charities we want it to be used we want patients and people that have burns to know that this resource is available along the same lines of that we also want to know how people use it why people use it what are they getting from the site so the second study of my PhD was to run an evaluation of this Help.Site that we've been speaking about. So that's been ongoing now. That has been running in the background from May um, and it will run till January 2024. And that was just a case of us wanting to know, like I said, how are people using it? What are people's thoughts on it? What are they getting from this website? What led them to click on this website? Um, It will let us know the strengths of the website. But then, like I said earlier in the podcast, it can also inform future initiatives. This can also be another piece of research that will help future researchers to create more online interventions for the Burns community. And then we also have the third studder and final studder of this PhD. Now, this is working with the Burns Charity, Dan's Fund for Burns. So Dance Fund for Burns was actually created by a lady called Paula um, and she was a victim of the Bali bombings and her husband sadly passed away and his name was Dan and that's why the charity was first created. Um, Now Dance Fund for Burns, they have piloted a, it's called a befriending service and it's where you have a person that has had a burn injury. Quite recently, with another person who has had a burn injury longer ago, perhaps maybe 5, 10, 15 years ago. And the aim of the befriending service is to create that one to one support based on shared experience that I was speaking about earlier. Both of these people have experienced a burn injury. Now, these people would have been matched on different criteria, such as perhaps how they sustain the bird, how old they are, whether they're male or female, um, the area of the body. There is a matching process um, and the befriender in this instance is trained to provide support to the befriending. So it's an incredible service and the study is to look at how it's been received. It's kind of an evaluation of what people have thought of it, what people have got from it. It's to try and find out what motivates people to to basically give back to the Burns community, what makes people want to volunteer their time to to give back, to provide support to someone else that's been in a similar situation to themselves. So I'm currently um, conducting the interviews for that. I'm speaking to some of the befrienders. Those are the people with the burns longer ago. I'm speaking to some of the befriendees, the people with the burns more recently. And then I'm also speaking to the organisers. Um, so they're called Polly and Jennifer, Polly who, who I've just mentioned too, to find out what their aims were when they created the service, what they wanted to get out of it. And the kind of overall aim of that is is to find out how it's been received, like I said, to explore why people use it, what they've got from it. Um, and again, it will inform future initiatives of how best to support the birds community in terms of online support
0: great that's brilliant um i know you're in the really early stages of this study specifically um, but i wondered if you could give us a little bit of an idea of the methods that you're going to be using um, and sort of where you're at with it now
2: Absolutely. So, so far, it's like you said, very early stages. I've interviewed one person so far. I actually have another interview scheduled for tomorrow and then another one next week. And I'm doing the interview similar to Health Talk in that they're semi-structured. There are a list of topics and a few questions I do want to kind of hit during the interview, but it's led by the by the participant, by the person that I'm speaking to. I want to know what's important to them. I want to know their experiences. Um, so a lot of the questions are Open-ended in that they require more than a yes or no answer. I want to kind of get as much depth from the questions as possible. So after I've conducted the interviews, we'll obviously we're going to transcribe them and then another thematic analysis. So just to point out, this PhD is majority a qualitative PhD, um, with an exception to the evaluation that I spoke about for health talk. So this will the dance one for burn There will be thematic analysis and then we're going to create kind of a report for dance fund in saying that you know this was the pilot of the befriending service this is what people thought of it this is how it was run this were the strengths this is what worked really well just to inform them of how it's gone for them but like i said it's always there to work on we can always work on these things and create even more interventions
0: Great thanks Christy that sounds like a really important piece of research and hopefully we can have you back onto the podcast again in the future when you've got some results to share. Absolutely. So I kind of wanted to sort of like zoom out a little bit think about your PhD as a whole and I guess maybe this will be more in relation to your first study because that's the one that you've completed already but I just wanted to know if you could share some of your key learnings from your PhD so have you learned anything unexpected or um, yeah, anything that's surprised you whilst you've been doing your PhD?
1: Yeah,
2: so I think one of the main learnings that I've taken um, from this PhD overall, not even just study one, is that online support is not a one-line-fits-all. Support in general is not a one-size-fits-all. What works for one person may not work for another, what works really well for one person may only work a little bit for another person and for me it's not about creating an intervention online that can be used by everyone and is going to be life-changing for absolutely everyone it's more about equipping people with burns or those affected by burns with a toolbox that they can access whenever they want and everyone's toolbox is going to look different some people might spend hours on the health talk website and they have really learned something from listening to the experiences of other people maybe their sense of isolation has diminished a little bit which is a great thing however for other people the health top website maybe they're not ready to listen to the experiences of others maybe it's too soon in their recovery journey maybe they would benefit much more from something like the dance fund for burn befriending service or maybe they'd benefit from a closed facebook group uh, set up for burn survivors worldwide maybe they would benefit more from in person um so that's really what it's been about is making sure that everyone has this toolbox and everyone's toolbox will look different and it's just stuffing that toolbox as much as possible full of different resources so as well as learning that you know online support is important obviously but looks different for each person there have been a few findings throughout the PhD that have become clearer that I guess I didn't expect and I have learnt more about and it's become clearer as I've done the interviews with um, all these different people that I've spoken about. So one such thing is the concept of post-traumatic growth and post-traumatic growth is known within academic literature as something that involves the development of increased resilience, beliefs, and values in an individual's life following a traumatic event. So there have been documented instances of post-traumatic growth within the Burns population. Um, But I think it's something that not many people are aware of the concept of. Many people in the interviews that I conducted, they discussed improvements in aspects of their life, including confidence, body image, and overall life satisfaction following their burn injury. Now obviously this is not one size fits all. This is different for each individuals um but there is anecdotal evidence like i've said that strongly indicates improvements in pe- areas of people's life after the burn injury for example there was one person that spoke to me that said the burn injury is the best thing that's ever happened to me now of course i'm not saying that this is the case for everyone but this person managed to kind of personally develop and grow and recover to a point that the burn injury was a catalyst for their life significantly improving in in their own words but it's worth reflecting and noting that all of the individuals I spoke to in the health talk study that was study one they did reflect on at least one positive aspect that has emerged in their lives as a result of the burn so for example one person um spoke about that although dating can be daunting um as she has visible burn scarring she actually uses it as a filter of whether or not someone is a good fit for her and um, so she will use someone's judgment and someone's reactions to her burns as whether or not whether or not they're going to be a good person in their life if their first instinct is to be judgmental they're not going to be a good friend they're not going to be a good partner so she uses that as a bit of a filter so relating to post-traumatic growth something interesting that I have learned through research and through these interviews is that has suggested that those with a higher burn total body surface area, and what I mean by that is those that have been burned on a bigger percentage of their body, objectively bigger, larger burns, they actually have higher levels of post-traumatic growth than those with smaller burns. So it's been theorized that a potential reason for this is a relationship between burn severity and the fact that more severe burns cause higher levels of distress. So although initially after the burn, immediately after the burn, this can impact functionality, everyday life, you know, surgeries, that kind of thing, eventually this distress may act as a catalyst for post-traumatic growth. So to simply put it, the higher levels of trauma someone endures in the beginning stages could then impact the fact that they report higher levels of post-traumatic growth in their recovery journey. So another thing that has been really interesting um, that I've learned as a result of this PhD is that obviously we know that living with scarring or a form of a visible difference such as a burn can make life more difficult to navigate. We know that people are more likely to experience um, public and societal reactions such as staring and unsolicited comments. However, what we also know is that the size or object severity, now object severity, I mean, looking outwards, what we would initially think of a person's burn, as in, are they objectively larger and covering more of their body? That does not necessarily predict a person's body image or their perception of themselves, which is contrary to what we as a society may think. We may initially think that if someone is, very heavily burn on a large proportion of their body that their body image, their self-esteem would be quite low. But this is this is not the case. And sometimes this is because that people with bigger and more visible scars are perhaps better at adjusting to and living with their visible difference than people whose scars are smaller in size or more discreet. And again this is related to the the concept that I spoke about previously called post-traumatic growth. Um, this is not the case for every individual. But the important thing to remember is that the size of severity of a person's scar does not always reflect how they feel about it so of course this is not a reflection on every single person with a burning dread and accepting scars and adjusting to an altered appearance does take time but there are people that i've spoken to that they refer to their scars as beautiful that they like them and that like i said previously it can be a filter for judging whether a partner or a potential friend is a good person I think it's important to point out and to acknowledge that people can and do come to accept their altered appearance.
0: Thanks, Christia. I feel like that's such a nice positive to end on as well. Um, And I think it really illustrates your point perfectly about this not this um, one size doesn't fit all. Right. I feel like you've been reiterating that a lot. um, And that's, I think, a really good, good way to illustrate that. So thanks so much Christia for joining us on Appearance Matters. I know I've heard quite a bit about your PhD but it's really great to listen to it in so much detail so thanks for giving me and our listeners such a thoughtful and detailed discussion. Christia since you're new to our podcast and you haven't been on before I don't think we've ever had the chance to ask you this question so um, as you know we have Car Weekly every Thursday and What I would love to know, and I'm sure all of our listeners would as well, is what sort of cake you would bring to Car Weekly. I know you're coming down to visit in January. So if you want to bring a cake then, that would be great. (laughs) But yeah, what sort of cake would you be would you be bringing?
2: That depends. Do I have to make the cake or can I buy it?
0: I feel like making is always it's always preferable. But if you're not much of a baker, then I guess you can. Yeah, we'll let you buy something if not.
1: yeah
2: I I think that question would depend on whether or not I bake the cake if I bake it I don't think you want to try it if I bought it (laughs) I think sticky toffee pudding is always
0: oh
2: um if I'm baking it you might have to put up with some very simple shortbread um I'm not much of a baker so
0: I don't really think that shortbread can go wrong maybe I'm wrong but any shortbread is good shortbread right
2: I don't even really think it's a cake um <laughs> it doesn't not... have to be cake okay <laughs> that's fine then. well stick it off put pudding you can look forward to it in January
0: <laughs> thanks Shop I've like lot. really put you on the spot there so yeah when this goes <laughs> out everyone's gonna know that you're bringing it
2: <laughs> yeah no thank you so much for having me it's been great to come and talk to you about my PhD it's nearing the end now so I'm very happy to come back and share the ending with you Um, and everything that's gone on in the final six months. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks. Thank you so much for being a guest. It's been great to have you.
1: That was great. It's always so good to hear someone come onto the podcast and give such a big overview and real deep dive into a really long project like a PhD. Definitely. I mean, especially for me, right, being a PhD student, just got into my second year. It's amazing to see how much work Christy has done and how much she's achieved, although it is a little bit daunting. Absolutely. <laughs> PhDs are really can be really long. <laughs> uh, I really loved all of Christy's reflections around her key learnings um, about things like how online support isn't the only answer, but can be used as one part of a bigger toolbox of resources. I agree. I think it's really interesting
0: because especially think since COVID, Um, There's been a lot of services or a lot of talk about services going fully online, but it's good to have that insight into when online support is
1: great and really helpful, but with the understanding that no one approach can work all the time for everyone. I think that's all we have time for today. We just wanted to say again a massive thank you to Christia for joining us on this episode of Appearance Matters, the podcast. And thanks to you, our listeners at home, for tuning into our final
0: episode of 2023. I can't believe it. So another thanks to everyone who's
1: tuned in this year, which has been our biggest year yet. Wow. So a massive happy new year too. Happy new year, everyone. And we'll see you again in 2024. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to share, subscribe, rate and review. It helps other people to find the podcast and gives us a little boost. It really does. And remember, you can keep up to date with our centre's work on Facebook, Instagram
0: and Twitter or X. All the links are in our bio. Until next time.
1: bye. Bye.